Luckily for us, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, has us covered with so many different ways to get in on the action. DraftKings Sportsbook is based right here in the U.S., not offshore, so you know your funds are safe and secure. Plus, they have new odds, boosts, and promotions on your favorite sports every day. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever, you don't even have to leave your house. And for those where sports betting is not yet available, head to the DraftKings app and check out all of their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SI when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's code SI to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It is the SI Fantasy and Gambling Podcast Double Dip episode today. And excited to have this as a video component as well. Ben Heisler flying solo today. Also, the SI Fantasy and Gambling Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Really good offer for anybody that's a new user that's just jumping in with the big game just a couple of weeks away. They are offering what's called the big game no-brainer. You double your money if a touchdown is scored. It's Chiefs and the Bucks. The total is sitting at 56 and a half. I have to imagine that we might see a touchdown in this game. If not, might be the most surprising Super Bowl stat of all time. Something that we might be able to discuss with our guest on the podcast today. But make sure you guys click that link in the podcast description to get up and sign up over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Trey Wingo, our guest today, has worked at ESPN for 23 years. He was the longtime host of NFL Live, took over NFL draft coverage, most recently the host of Golik and Wingo. But now he is going back to his golf roots. He's going to make his debut with PGA Tour Live for the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines this week. Um, he's also the host of Half Forgotten History, which is a podcast now starting in its second season with the likes of guests such as Eli Manning and Archie Manning, Emmett Smith, Kurt Warner, some of the biggest names in the NFL and around the industry. It's a lot of fun, and it's these big names telling stories with an adult beverage or two on hand. Highly recommend that you guys check it out, and uh, I'm excited to welcome into the show right now. Good morning, Trey. Good to uh, have you on with us. I appreciate the time. Ben, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing really well. First of all, congratulations on the new gig and the new opportunity I read in an interview a handful of weeks back that um, your best score on the golf course was a 73 at Kapalua. Uh, and that actually, the, the tour was just there a few weeks ago for the Century Tournament yeah. of Champions. Now, if it were me, if I were with the company for, for 23 years, waking up early for the last couple of years, I would be on Kapalua for weeks on end, just soaking <laughs> up the sunshine and, and playing a ton of golf. But no, you had to get right back to work and, and prove all of us that uh, your dedication to this craft is something that uh, isn't going to go on vacation for very long. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, if I'm being honest, the day after the Super Bowl, we are flying out to Kapalua and I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there for a while. But in the meantime, yeah, we're plugging away with the podcast. Thanks for mentioning that. It's been great. Uh, and obviously, I'm really excited to do golf again with PGA Tour Live. I did the U.S. Open and Open Championships for ESPN for seven summers in a row. It was just great. So uh, happy to be dabbling in a lot of different things right now. It's a lot of fun. 
And I was going to say, too, if you have to wake up early for golf coverage, you might as well wake up early on the West Coast, knowing that at least it feels like you're waking up normal time on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting because the weather is sort of dicey and, uh, you know, it's a lot of rain and cold weather. So it's not going to be like the uh, the balmy Southern California that you think of when you think of La Jolla and uh, Torrey Pines and the San Diego area. So it's going to be an interesting weekend weather-wise. So we'll see what happens. How long did you have sort of the wheels in motion for what the podcast might look like, what that next venture would be, uh, knowing that at some point you and ESPN were, were ready to part ways? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Did you ever watch the show Drunk History on Comedy Central? I have. Okay. I just think it's hilarious. And they get these historians and they, you know, they absolutely get crocked. And then they reenact the things that they say when they're drunk about certain times in history. So that was sort of the genus for the idea, because all those years, you know, working at ESPN and working with guys in the NFL, the greatest stories I ever heard never made it to air. And it was stuff we said in the green room before we went on the air or we we're at the Super Bowl or at the Pro Bowl. We're out to dinner, having a cocktail, you know, when you could do those things. And they would tell the greatest stories of all time. So I was like, we need to get those stories out there. And it's been surprisingly easy to do. And the people have been willing to share them. And I got to say, the sponsors have been absolutely great. It's been a lot of fun. We're, we only are beginning season two and season three has already been sold to somebody else. So we're really, we're really looking forward to it. But I'll give you an example. Like the first episode of season two was Eli and Archie Manning. And Tim Hasselbeck told me this story years ago. And it was Eli's rookie year when, you know, he wasn't playing that great. They put him in, even though Kurt Warner had a winning record as the Giants quarterback that season. And in one game, his left tackle, Luke Pettigrew, who was just a stalwart, broke his leg. So they had to bring in Bob Whitfield off the bench. And Bob was horrendous. I mean, he just couldn't make a play. Eli got destroyed in that game, played terrible. So the next week they had a team meeting, just the players only. And Bob Whitfield got up and said, man, that one's on me. Luke never gets hurt. I was out all night doing all kinds of things with a lot of people. I didn't sleep at all. And I might not have been completely mentally there and physically there. Might have been a little hungover for the game. So that one's on me. I apologize. And Eli turned to Tim Hasselbeck and says, yeah, and I'm the bust. So I, we, got him to, we got him to admit to that story. And it was just great. And those are the kind of things that, like, I know and they know I think everybody needs to know because now in hindsight, they're hilarious. Well, I, I think the other component of, of that question is over the 20, 30 years of working in this industry and building those connections and relationships and hearing some of this half forgotten history, how much of it, once you were starting to plan out sort of the origin of the show, how much of that initially just came back to you right away versus sort of going over and writing a bunch of stuff down and then trying to figure out some, some, some other conversations along the way? How much of it was just always right in the top of your head. Sadly, a lot of it was just there. I, I'm the uh, the proprietor of more useless information than anybody I could possibly know. And so it was just, it, just, it was just waiting to come out. I mean, like Jeff Saturday years ago told me uh, when the Colts were going out for their first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 41, and, you know, Peyton had finally beaten the Patriots and Tom Brady in the AFC title game that year. And he knew he needed to win the Super Bowl. Otherwise, he would be looked at as a guy that, yeah, really great, but never got it done. So he was like so singularly focused and, and sing, narrow-minded. They had a big meeting with the players and the players' families right before the Super Bowl. And it was about preparations and all, all this kind of stuff and how they're going to do things. And, and Peyton gets up there and he's like, listen, man, this is a business trip. I don't want to hear any kids playing in the hall. Your wives, you need to keep them quiet. 
And the, the wives are in the room when he's saying this. And Jeff says he could feel his wife grabbing his hand and just squeezing it tighter and tighter as Peyton was saying this. And Jeff had to go up to him and say, you need to relax because they're coming with us. They're part of the journey. And, you know, we'll make sure your precious time isn't, you know, bothered, but you need to step off the gas here. They almost had a mutiny on the team before they went down there because of how Peyton was approaching it. And obviously they worked it out and they went on to win. But those are the kind of things that I've known for years that we always used to joke about in between commercial breaks that now we're sort of sharing with everybody else. You spent a lot of time with Jeff Saturday, and naturally, you know, somebody like Peyton has to come up in a wide variety of conversations. He's always been that most talked about name as a possible big time analyst, sort of the next Romo in waiting or or somebody that could be you know, a possible name for, for Tennessee or a head coaching job. Uh, you've, you've known you got an opportunity to talk to Peyton as well. What do you think he wants to do? Is it kind of what he's already doing? Do you see that broadcast gig or that coaching gig in his future? I think what he wants to do, I think he wants to be a John Elway. I think he wants to run a team and potentially own a team one day. I mean, that that would be, if you're asking me to project where I see Peyton Manning going forward, I think he loves what he's doing now on the details program and Peyton's places and all those kind of things. Like Peyton is such a, a detail-oriented guy that I honestly think the game, like doing games, well, any network would would sign him up. If he said, I want to do it tomorrow, every network would say, how much money do you need? I think that he would find that frustrating because he would see 10 different things on one play that he would want to talk about. And by the time he got to the first or the second, they'd be on to the next snap. So that details thing he does for ESPN plus and the show he does for Peyton's places with NFL films also on ESPN plus, I think is much better suited for how he wants to approach things. But I think at the end of the day in 10 years, Peyton Manning will either be a general manager or he'll be a part owner of a team. That would be my guess. That's where I see Peyton's football future going forward. As somebody who consumed football in sort of a different role than, than most of us, as somebody that was a part of NFL Live and the NFL Draft for so many years, when you're sitting down for a broadcast, are you looking and listening for, for anything different than maybe you know just the typical guy watching the, the Sunday night game? I mean, I guess, look, that, that still, that's, the way I did it all those years doesn't change for me now. You know, I still watch the games and I, and I try and go back and do as, see as many different things as possible. But Teddy Bruschi had a great line once. He said, you know, if you take your eyes off the ball, you'll see some amazing stuff. And I think all of us get stuck. Okay. The ball goes to the quarterback. Where's the quarterback send it to. And that sort of can be the linear myopic view of how the game is played. It is fascinating. If on three or four plays in a row, you don't follow the ball and you decide to watch what the offensive line is doing or how they are switching things off in the secondary. And it does give you a different appreciation. So look, it's a, it's a fantasy football league right now with the way it's played and the way, and the way it's officiated and adjudicated. So obviously that's always going to be a big part of it. But if you take three or four snaps and look at things differently, like away from the ball, like my, my overriding philosophy is football it has always been this and it will always be this. At its core, football is a game where one wall of men tries to dominate another wall of men, offensive line, defensive line, which allows everything else to happen. And that's not taking anything away from quarterbacks or wide receivers or running backs or anything like that. But at the end of the day, if that initial push, that initial surge isn't controlled by either the offensive line or the defensive line, everything else is in jeopardy. And that, to me, is why the game is beautiful. Uh, to me, it's the only true team sport. Like... You could have two or three of the best NBA players you're going to win. 
you could have uh, a goalie in soccer or hockey that dictates the outcome. You could have 37 shots on goal, but you got a hot goalie, it doesn't matter. Um, in baseball, it's essentially a one-on-one experience, right? It's a batter versus the pitcher, and if the ball's put in play, well, everyone else may or may not get into the equation. Football, to me, is the ultimate team game. You have to have 11 guys on one side of the ball, all interconnected and all on the right page, and if one guy is off, it usually means disaster. Is there a particular team in mind for you when you think of everybody working in complete and total unison, maybe the most dominant team that you've gotten a chance to see? The conversation around the Super Bowl is all based on you have the GOAT, now you have the baby GOAT in in Tom Brady and and Patrick Mahomes. But if you're looking at it collectively from sort of the inside out, is there a a particular team in your mind that stands out? The Patriots of the aughts, for lack of a better term, the the 2000s, they they were the most functionally incredible team I think I've ever seen because they didn't, I mean, look, they had Brady and they had Belichick for a couple of years. They had Randy Moss, but they never won a Super Bowl with Randy Moss. When they were winning all those Super Bowls and specifically Super Bowl 36, 38, 39, that that's the team I'm talking about. They were, they were a collection of perfectly intertwined parts. Everyone knew their role. No one was asked to do any more than anybody else. And they found a way to make it work. I mean, they I think they set the record at that time with 23 or 24 straight wins uh, over a regular and postseason. And it was just, they were never blowouts. I think when people look at hindsight now, look at the Patriots, they're like, oh, they killed everybody. Because they, they're thinking of 2007, which was Bill Belichick's middle finger, double middle finger tour to the world after Spygate, right? But they didn't right. win that year. They did go undefeated until the Super Bowl, but they didn't win. When they were winning, and even you know in 2014, when they got destroyed by the the Chiefs in that Monday night game, 38 to 13, I think it was, or 42 to 14, and everyone was writing them off. And I was like, let's pump the brakes here because this is a game in September, early October. They wanted to win the Super Bowl that year. And, and they beat the defending champion Seahawks 28-24. When the Patriots were at their absolute best, they were not a dynasty of superstars. They were this machine that just found enough cracks in the fissure of the other team to make plays and make sure the other team lost plays. So there there have been more talented teams. I think the Dallas Cowboys team that won Super Bowl 27 before free agency hit might have been the deepest roster in the history of football. If you just look at all the people that left over the couple of years and went to play a starter somewhere else. But no team was more intertwined and interconnected, I think, than those Patriot teams of the 2000s. In your in your 23 plus years at, at ESPN and with all the NFL coverage that you've been a part of, uh, you brought up those Patriots teams. Have, have you gotten an opportunity to see more of the the human side of Bill Belichick along the way? And if not, uh, is that a potential half forgotten history guest that's uh, maybe on the bucket list? Well, Bill would be, uh, you know, but I don't think he's going to do that till he retires. So, and I don't see him retiring anytime soon. But you know, it's funny, you know, in working with Damian Woody and, and Teddy Bruschi. They'll tell you there is a different side of Bill. Uh, now, I wouldn't call him hilarious, but they think he's kind of funny. And he does it in a, in a way that sort of ingratiates himself a little bit more than that, you know, that stoic, uh, dark night sort of hoodie master thing that you see on the sidelines all the time. He's a little funnier and has a little more personality than you think. In fact, uh, gratuitous plug, uh, Teddy will be on in a couple of weeks uh, talking about, uh, you know, how Bill sort of trying to do that uh, for the first time since the Patriots did it in Super Bowls 38 and 39. So thanks for that. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in, in those different many years at ESPN, is there anything that 
you've still wanted to do that you didn't get a chance to do? And is there an opportunity now um, to take on sort of a, a different challenge that maybe you were hoping to be able to do, but didn't get that chance? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I literally, I, I think I did everything I've wanted to do uh, when I was at ESPN, whether it was covering the Olympics, a PGA championship, uh, US Open golf, Open championship golf, US Open tennis, Wimbledon, uh, NBA finals, obviously Super Bowls. Uh, I, I've, you know, I've, I've done, the only thing I never got to do was go to the Masters. So uh, obviously that's something that I would, I would absolutely relish. I've covered every other golf major. I've covered uh, every other tennis major. I, as I said, I, I went and did our 2002 Olympics coverage and the Super Bowls and NBA finals and World Series and all that kind of stuff. Never been to the Masters. So obviously that would be something uh, that I would find uh, obviously very interesting. But other than that, I, look, I had nothing to complain about. I, I enjoyed almost every second of it. And uh, it was it was just great. I, I, I would hope that everybody would be able to have a career like I had at ESPN because it was it was great. And I got to meet I, I made so many lifelong friends uh, through that, that we're still friends today and we still hang out, whether it's Herm Edwards or Jeff Saturday or, you know, Ryan, Ryan Clark or or. Uh, uh, Mark Schlereth, who I still do stuff with now, even though he's at Fox, we do a weekly sort of breakdown of the NFL season now. So uh, it, it was it was great. But more importantly, it was it was about the relationships uh, that I made with those guys that I either watch playing or, or, or enjoyed uh, breaking down how it's played. And, and those things haven't changed. So for me, that's just that's gravy. I'm glad you have a, a new connection now that should theoretically be able to to get you to Augusta now uh, this upcoming April. I'm glad that you might be able to pull some strings uh, over a PGA <laughs> Tour Live. By, by the way, you brought up Herm Edwards, and he was he was so much fun to watch, especially the interaction that you guys had. You know, I, when I was working in radio in Kansas City, when he had the I don't even remember sort of the context of this, uh, where he had that that infamous. You see that button right here? You know what that says? Don't press yeah. send. That Don't was radio yeah. drop magic for years for us. And that was still one of yeah. my favorite memories of him. Well, listen, Herm, there's, there's no way to describe Herm. Like if, if you, if you tried to say what he is, you wouldn't believe, like no one would believe you. I, you know, he's from, he, he he's from uh, the Monterey area. And so I call him the mayor of Monterey, the prince of the peninsula. Like literally, if you wanted to commit a, a serious crime, I would suggest walking behind Herm Edwards somewhere in the Carmel Monterey area because you're invisible. Like no one, no one will know who you are and they just gravitate towards Herm. And, you know, Herm and I had so many adventures away from work, you know, cause he, you know, he literally lived in Carmel and he would fly across the country like once a week to work. So he'd stay for a couple of days and we'd go out and have some boondoggles and go play golf. And he called me my, he called me his road dog. He said, Rody, what are we doing now? Rody, what's going on? And we would go and take a lot of golf trips together. And he always would say this. I'll, I'll never forget it. Whenever we're having a good time somewhere and playing a great golf course or just out and about and having a good time, he'd look at me and say, Rody, somebody had to be us today. It might as well be us. And that was sort of our, our philosophy. Hey, someone had to have this good time today, so me, it might as well be us doing it. And uh, That's you know, those relationships continue, which is just awesome. It's kind of like that, that Paul Rudd meme, like, like hey, how yeah. about Who us? Who would have believed it? Not Who us, not me, right? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? It's great. Uh, listen, I, I could talk football and ESPN with you all day, but I, I do want to be able to, to get your perspective heading into the Farmers Insurance Open as well. Um, you know, I won't have you make a pick because obviously you're, you're calling the event for PGA Tour Live, but you know, big names, Trey, tend to win this thing. You had Mark Leishman last year, 
Justin Rose, Jason Day's won it twice since since 2015. John Rahm. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I think with this tournament, you know, you've seen pretty big names win it all the way going back to I think Tiger Woods in 2013, 2014. Um, how much of that do you think is purely just the fairly predictable nature of the course, where where talent is basically just going to to ride out? And also, maybe it's just the fact that it's a bigger name tournament, and bigger names are likely going to play in it. Well, th that's a part of it for sure. Like if you if you look at the field this year, and let me let me check my notes here. Uh, we have 86 tour winners in the field, uh, 332 total wins, seven players champions, 16 major winners, uh, you know, four FedEx champions. This right tour, tour stops are sort of on this level, right? There's the majors, and then there's the players, and I think there's a a, a list of about six or seven other tournaments that people would consider higher tier events. You know, the farmers at Torrey Pines, the memorial at Jack's Place, Bay Hill uh, at, at Arnie's Place. Those type of events outside the FedEx, obviously, I think are looked at a little differently than a lot of other regular tour stops. And I think that does attract a lot of players. The other thing that the Farmers has going for this year is at the Open. The U.S. Open is going to be there in June. And yes, I get it. It will be a different setup. But the course will essentially play the way it's going to play. Like, for example, uh, last year, the Farmers was the longest course on tour, over 7,700 yards. I think it was 7,760 or something like that, longer than even, you know, uh, Kapalua, the Century uh, Championships. And it's not downhill like a lot of that is with the wind. Right. So this this is a straightforward golf course, either the north course or the south course. And usually the, the south course is about three or four strokes tougher than the north. And that's the other thing that makes it kind of interesting. You, you play it over two courses. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of players are, are attracted to this. Like Rory's making his uh, uh, U.S. debut uh, in 2020 this week. He, he was coming off a third-place finish uh, on the European Tour last week. But they want to get here because, A, it's a good test of their game, and, B, they know they'll see it again in June. And it's it's really one of those rare situations where – where the, the Open is like a pebble, you get a chance to play that course the year the Open's going to be there. And the thing about whether it's the U.S. Open or the Farmers this weekend, it's a tough golf course. Uh, you know, it's always routinely uh, within the top 10 hardest fairways to hit on this course because it's really straight. You know, a lot of players like to shape the ball, you know, whether it's a fade or a draw, that's the way they like to, to bring the ball in. Well, if you do that on this golf course, they're going to roll out to a lot of unsavory places. It, it, it's a dreaded straight ball hitters course because it's just laid out right in front of you. And if you try and work the ball too much, it's going to be a problem. So I, I think that all those things factor into it. It's a traditional, a beautiful golf course uh, set in a beautiful location, although the weather's a little dicey this week. Uh, it, it's, it's one where a lot of, like you said, big names have won. And this year it has the allure of getting sort of a practice round or a mulligan, if you will on the U.S. Open five months before that thing is contested out there in June. I think one of the more intriguing names, at least in this field, is Xander Shoffley, considering that yep. he's so locked in right now. He's number one over his last 24 rounds and in total strokes gained. Um, he's missed the cut, though, in four of his last five appearances here. And it's a course he's extremely familiar with. Um, I, I'm backing him at 12 to 1 on DraftKings Sportsbook. I, I like his price over at DraftKings as well. I just feel like... I'm buying in on his recent form more so than course history, but uh, definitely somebody that I, I think is a very intriguing storyline coming into this tournament. A absolutely. And he was born in La Jolla. So obviously, you know, he's very familiar with this area, but you know, Xander is one of those guys who I, I want to be careful about this because I think he's going to be a very good player, but you know, recently, whether it was, uh, 20 the the uh, the colonial where they came back for the first event 
uh, after you know the break because of COVID last summer. Yeah, Charles Schwab, you know, right. They've been a lot. Yeah, that's that seventeenth hole got him. Uh, that seventeenth green got a couple. Got Colin Morikawa Mar- too, and Daniel Berger ended up winning. You know, I, I want to see him cash in a little more. Uh, and I, he's absolutely. He's, by the way, he's one of the feature groups uh, will be on PGA Tour Live. So thanks for bringing that up. Uh, but yeah, he, he's a guy that that has the game, but can you put it all together? And, and you mentioned it, right? Because I think he's one of the best young players on tour, but you mentioned all those cuts made. We thought that this would be the return of Tiger this week because obviously he's done so well there. He's won seven farmers and, a, and an open there. So he's won on this course eight times. To me, when, when everybody talks about Tiger's brilliance and you can mention the majors and the scoring records and all this kind of stuff, no one talks about the most impressive part of Tiger Woods' resume, and that's 142 straight cuts made. You know, beaten Byron right. Nelson's mark. Yeah, be, beaten Byron Nelson's mark by 20 when you know the field was not nearly as competitive and not nearly as many people from all over the world. And, and we always talk about who's the next this and who's the next that. Well, when somebody gets like within 50 of Tiger's 142nd straight cuts, then we can have that conversation because that was the thing that I always thought was the coolest thing about him. He, I, I could, I've seen that guy turn a 74 into a 68 so many times, just out of sheer will trying to get it done. And, and, and that, that to me will always be the separator for him. When you're talking about all these other potentially really great players, like a Rory, who's just a masters away from, from winning the grand slam. You know, can you be that consistent over a long period of time? And, and that to me is, is the mark of his excellence that nobody talks about. You mentioned Rory coming back from the European tour, first time uh, playing in a U.S. event, uh, at least in actual 2021, not during the 2021 calendar year. Right. Uh, Rom currently the the favorite at, at around seven to one, but this is someone that's also switching clubs. He's going to Callaways, yeah. which I imagine is going to be a bit of a transition as well. Um, I think there's really good value in somebody like Victor Hovland this week, who's right around 31 to one at, at DraftKings and, and a good DraftKings price as well. Um, but are there any other names for you, whether it be dark horse candidates or, or other tier guys sort of in that top element uh, that maybe we're not talking about, but should be? Well, it, it, it's interesting because it's been so long since he's won, but he's always there. It's Tony Finau, right? I mean, Tony Finau is a birdie barrage waiting to happen at any time. And he, he got up to the great start Sunday at the American Express and, and just came up a little short. That guy has every shot and he has every, every, everything that you could do on a golf course course Tony Fino has in his bag he just hasn't been able to put it together in enough wins but you know he's like you said with Shoffley he's consistently there I just have to believe eventually in the way he's playing and all these top tens and top fives and top 20s that he keeps stringing back to back together that eventually he's going to crack through so that would be a name that I would consider the only thing against him is he hasn't been able to close and and obviously that's going to be a big part of it but my god like you know Tony Fino played his way onto the, the Ryder Cup that year at the uh, 2018 PGA when he was paired with Jim Furyk, and I think he made eight birdies in the final round or 11 birdies, something like that. When he's on a roll, no one gets on a bigger roll than Tony Fino. So that would be certainly a name that I would I would keep an eye on. What, one last question on what, with sort of regards to golf, sort of on a, on a micro level, sort of expanding out a little bit. You know, I, I think just personally for me, I, I always sucked at golf when I was a kid. It sort of became my, my dad's thing with my younger brother when I went away to summer camp. And it, it took me about 18 to 20 years to get back on the course. And honestly, Trey, what got me back involved in golf was kind of what I'm doing now in covering it on a fantasy and gambling level. Like it got my interest back and perked up. You saw the sport actually really embrace it. And, and yeah. purely, I, I think for, for casual betters, 
I think they love betting on golf because they can get on a variety of guys. They don't have to spend a lot of money. The odds are really high. I just think it's it's cool that especially now you get to be a, a part of a broadcast group uh, and part of the PGA Tour that has embraced legal sports betting when it still feels like so many of the major sports in America are, are shying away in public, even though they've already built up sponsorship deals. So it, has that been something that yeah. you've been sort of considering as well, knowing that this is a big part of, of golf's future and also their ability to connect with the younger audience? Oh, absolutely. Look, Sports gambling is the future of any sport. I mean, that that's, well, this is going to sound stupid, but that's literally where the money is. Uh, and, and that's not going away. You know, much in the same way you talk about that sort of reinvention and, and reinvigoration for you with golf. It's the same thing that happened in the NFL about 10 years ago when fantasy football took off. Look, the, the game is great, and there are so many great stars, and you could argue right now they are, the, the quarterback position is fascinating with so many young quarterbacks out there playing really well. But at the end of the day, what really got everybody's interest in football at a fever pitch was fantasy football. And, you know, if your team was out of it, well, there's another reason to figure out why you want to root for 10 other guys. You know, whether it's your DraftKings DFS lineup or or you just your fantasy football keeper league or your legacy league, however you want to do it. And that's the same thing that's happening in golf. And I think golf was very smart. And the commissioner of the PGA Tour was very smart to embrace this going on because it's not going away. And the thing that makes golf really interesting is that we've just got the tip of the iceberg on sports gambling in this country. Like most of the most of the betting, as you well know, Ben, is done pre-game or pre-round. Yes. Well, if you look overseas where sports gambling has been legal for much longer, you know, most of the gambling is in-game where you change the line and things change during the game or the round that, that you can change the bet. And that's going to be the next big thing. I think that happens in gambling and what better way to do that in golf when you have these massive swings uh, on a front side or a back side where some guy goes three over over three holes and somebody goes four under over five uh, and, and that swings things massively. So golf is very much uh, acceptable and, and, and it's uh, susceptible to that kind of gambling and that kind of betting. And I think it's a big part of the future. It's exciting that it's really embraced by, by so many at that sport and also knowing very well in that, that you're going in with that understanding as well. And you're right. It's as somebody who's done his fair share of in-play betting when it comes to first round leaders, I, I totally yeah. know where you're going with it. And it's always <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, Trey, before yeah. I let you go, and I, I do appreciate your time. It's been a lot of fun to catch up with you and, and congrats on the new opportunity with PGA Tour Live as part of the Farmers Insurance Open uh, and all the different events that you're going to be a part of. Have to ask, it's it's almost sort of written in the contract. I, I do need a Super Bowl prediction from you. So the Chiefs are three and a half favorites. Uh, total right now sitting at 56 and a half. Uh, do you have an initial lean or, an, or a bet on the game? Well, I, I have to because, uh, you know, I've been all in since last year that I thought the Chiefs had the best chance to repeat since the Patriots. And, you know, the NFL every year, you, you, you do this every year in the playoff start, you say, and we used to do this all the time. All right, this matchup here would be great. What if this happened? What if this happened? This is, the, this is the single greatest matchup. With all due respect to Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay and the, the story of Josh Allen and the Bills making it to the postseason, if you got the NFL into a, into a dark corner and said, listen, Tom Brady, first year at Tampa, home Super Bowl against the guy that looks like he may be the next great thing, that would probably be the best matchup, right? And they would say yes. So this, this Super Bowl is off the charts. But I've been in on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs being the first – team to repeat. I, I really, I predicted it in August. I see no reason to back away from that now. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Bucks won, but the one thing the playoffs have done for us this year, Ben, is showed us what happened in the regular season matter, right? Um, 
The Buffalo Bills lost to Kansas City in the regular season. They lost to them in the playoffs. The Bucs beat the Packers in the regular season. They beat them in the playoffs. And I get it. The Bucs are a little better now than they were week 12 when the, when the Chiefs went down there and Antonio Brown is there and, and the loss of Eric Fisher is a big deal. Don't think it isn't uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. But at the end of the day, that guy number 15 is a unicorn. Like, he's not real. He's magic waiting to happen. I know people say, well, Brady's magic waiting. He is. But to me, this Super Bowl is going to come down to, okay, when everything works, both offenses are functioning. But what happens when the machine breaks down? And there is nobody, and I mean nobody better at when the machine breaks down than Patrick Mahomes. So I will take the Chiefs, I'll take Patrick Mahomes, and I'll probably give the three and a half. Trey, it's been great catching up with you. Congrats on the new opportunities. Make sure you guys are checking them out on Twitter as well at Wingos with a Z at the end. Best of luck on the coverage this upcoming week. And uh, let's do this again soon. You got it, Ben. And if the Bucks win, I never said any of this. <laughs> Fair enough.